Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 131 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Candace Chambers, a PhD student, author, college English professor, and CEO of her own business. Candace was actually misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes and later found out she has LADA, which is late onset type 1, pretty much. She shares her experience in academia and dealing with the high stresses of managing her PhD program as a new type 1 diabetic. Jesse is up with the win of the week. All right. So I have the win of the week this week. And I planned out my sensor pretty perfectly, almost down to the hour. And I'm very glad that it decided to go with that and not fall off. So, I mean, it fell off like an hour or two before I wanted it to. But honestly, I'm okay with just getting it in that day mark of like, oh, yeah, Friday, you change out your sensor. And then the weekend, you got a good sensor and or figure out if you don't and you don't have school to worry about it. So I think I might start doing that from now on is just kind of plan to change my sensors on on Fridays. So yeah, the plan worked pretty well for once. Do your sensors only last seven days? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's it's harder with the Dexcoms because they're 10 days. Yeah. And then I just have to change it when it expires. It doesn't even matter if I want to yeah. buy it properly. It's like, okay, it's dead. Let's change it. That's true. So with the uh, Guardian, it'll either expire like within seven days or it'll fall off usually. So it's just as a seven day lifespan for it. So I'm not too worried, but yeah, I worked out pretty good. Nice. So my fail this week is that my last infusion site was basically a bruise the entire time it went in. It was okay. A little bit going in, like it stung a little bit, but then it just didn't stop. And so it felt like a little bit of a sting and a bruise the whole time. That's not normal. That doesn't happen very often. But even after I pulled it out, it still felt like it was bruised. So that was fun. <laughs> That's my fail. What's the hack this week? All right. So my hack this week is try to figure out something that is a carb-free drink other than water or diet sodas, meaning like sparkling waters, crystal lights, meat, those Mio like juices and that you put in water and try making mixing things up a little bit just because sodas aren't that great for you and water can get boring. So that's just one way to kind of keep that from happening. I drink a lot of tea, especially yeah. in, in the cold months. I drink a lot of tea. And here in Missoula, there's a really great local tea shop, Lake Missoula mm-hmm. Tea Company. Yeah. They have such great flavors. So shout out to them. All right. And now here is Candace. Hi, Candace. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on. No problem. So to start off, tell us who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Okay, so my name is Candace Chambers, and I am a full-time graduate student. I'm also a business owner. 
I'm an author and an adjunct professor of English. So that's a little bit like my official titles. And as far as diabetes is concerned, I was diagnosed with LADA or late stages of type 1 diabetes in November of 2020. So I've had it about a year and a few months now, and I was diagnosed at age 27. So that's pretty much in a nutshell. So what was that diagnosis story like? All right. So I think I'll start. um, I was at an alligator park, alligator farm park in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It went well. The first part went well. We went on the swamp on a boat. It was really nice. And then we went to, me and a friend were there. So we went to see like an alligator show where they like tussle with alligators, things like that. Well, all of a sudden my world just started spinning and I couldn't really like gather what was going on with me. So I asked my friend, like, we need to go immediately. So as we're walking from the alligator show, (laughs) we're walking back up to like the main part of the park. And I just couldn't walk. Like I couldn't see straight. I just kept hollering like I need water. Like I could not just catch myself. And all of a sudden, I just wanted to lay on the ground. Thankfully, my friend caught my head so I wouldn't hit it. And I don't remember what happened from the alligator show up until like the main building of the park. I don't know if they just drug me up there. I can't remember that part. I was on the bench. They got me to the bench. And then to avoid like vomiting inside of my mouth, they pushed my head forward. And so after that incident, I decided to go to the student health clinic at the school where I was a graduate student. So I went to the student health clinic, told them about that incident. Um, They ran tests. So they did like a brain scan. They did my blood work, things like that. They said, if something's wrong, then we will call you the next day. So I was actually teaching at the time at a community college at night as well as going to class. So I was teaching that night and they called me that night and said, we need you to come in the next morning. So they actually didn't wait till the next morning. They told me the night of when they pulled my labs. So I went to the student health clinic the next morning and they said that my sugars were high and I have crossed the threshold as a diabetic. So I'm like, OMG. And um, <laughs> so they told me that and they said, we're going to start you off with metformin. I'm like, OK. And they said, we're going to run just like a test now, you know, not the full test, but just a fingerprint to see what your sugars are today. They did that. My sugar came back at 402. And then they did it again at 404. And so they had me sitting in the room and the nurse practitioner came in and said, we're going to let you go because you probably walk around with that type of blood sugar anyway. So I left (laughs) and they started me out on the medication which is the metformin. So each week I went back into the clinic. My numbers were dropping. So they thought the medicine was working. And then they had me to see a dietitian and a nutritionist, weigh myself, things like that. Now I've never been like a obese person or like all these different indicators, I should say, of more so type two. So when they diagnosed me, they never said anything about type one. They never said, let us test you to see like what type you have. They just assumed that I had type two. And they also want to add, they asked me about my family history. So I should put that in there. And I told them that I had family members who had diabetes, but they had it at 50 and 60. I'm African-American. I'm from Mississippi. It's really not that odd for people to get diabetes. So they assumed, you know, oh, it's in our genes. You know, it was coming anyway. So after that, they kept trying to help me with the medication, just back and forth with the doctor. You know, I'm a type 2 diabetic. So back and forth with the doctor. But all of these different changes or things that are happening were kind of my fault. You know, like maybe you're not eating right or maybe you're not exercising enough. Maybe you're not doing this. Maybe you're not doing this. Fast forward, that happened an entire year. 
And I randomly went to, I randomly, I took, I had an appointment for the gynecologist and I told her I was type two diabetic. And she looked at me and she's like, that seems really off. So she referred me to an endocrinologist. That was the first time I had ever been referred to an endocrinologist. The student health clinic never told me to go to a specialist. Went to the endocrinologist. She tested me and my results came back that I was indeed type one diabetic. It's not really funny, but (laughs) it's just the irony, like the craziness of the situation. But I was a type one diabetic, late stages. They started me with metformin and then I eventually transferred to insulin. So that's the entire story of my diagnosis. Like this whole time I've been muted, I'm just like all on the up and down roller coaster of the doctors telling her she's type two and not referring her. I'm like, ah, why? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. So at this point, you're a year and a bit in. Do you have any favorite or least favorite things about having diabetes? All right. So the word favorite is, I don't like the word right now, to be honest. It's been a journey. You know, this, I knew 27 years without diabetes. And so then it's just like this ton of bricks came. And to say favorite, I don't really know what my favorite, I mean, I have to keep up with my health, you know, like I have to exercise. So that's a good thing. And then as far as least, I would say the emotional toll of it, just like the uh, mood swings or just being down and out, which I imagine a lot of people deal with. (laughs) But I think that would be my least favorite. I think that's a pretty common response to least favorite things about diabetes. Yeah, emotionally sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's correct. (laughs) So now that you're on, I'm I'm assuming you've been uh, put onto insulin now. How do you manage the, like the overall checking of the blood sugars, using of the insulin, all that stuff? Okay. So I do have a CGM. Thankfully, I have a Dexcom. And then I have insulin. I I am only on long-term insulin. I take it once a day. I can't remember the term. I take Tracebo once a day at night. Thankfully, I'm still in my honeymoon period. Well, I don't really know if that's all the way of thankful because some days my pancreas works, some days it doesn't. That's just the characteristic of Lada. But I'm still in a honeymoon period. So I haven't had to take like mealtime insulin just yet. Um, my pancreas has been holding on for a year. So I just on 2000 milligrams of metformin a day and uh, five units of insulin at night. So that's where I am right now. Nice. It's interesting, though, that you're still on metformin. I've never heard of... Is that like common for LADA patients to be on metformin? So according to my endocrinologist, they tried to start you on it if your pancreas is still putting out some insulin. So my pancreas, my you know, C-peptide test came back. It's still producing some insulin. So I think the metformin just helps it function a bit better until it just gives out. Got it. Okay. Have you found a way of eating that helps your blood sugars better than other other foods? I think for me, the biggest thing has been timing. I've had to figure out like when is the best time to eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then, you know, as a student, things are just all over the place sometimes and you forget to eat, especially if you're not used to eating on a regimented schedule. That's one big thing. And then just I know for me, I always keep snacks around like granola bars, apples, oranges, those kind of filler snacks when I'm low or, you know, to prevent a low. Those have been very helpful. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the emotional swing and the the emotional toll. Have you experienced burnout yet? Or if you like, what does burnout mean to you? All right. So yes, I have experienced burnout. (laughs) It's horrible. (laughs) And so for me, I think I go down these like emotional roller coasters or holes where I'm like, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did this have to interrupt my normal life? And I just get 
sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like I get tired of feeling the same way or like tired of diabetes interrupting my regular flow of life or even tired of people just not understanding what the heck I have going on (laughs) because I'm not a traditional type one. I'm not a traditional type two. So it's kind of hard to always have to fill people in as far as what I do have. So I think burnout to me just means just being tired. And as far as coping mechanism, I like to play music. I like to watch movies. I do journal, but to be honest, sometimes it's hard to even put words on the page. And I do like to kind of talk it out with some of my close family and friends. And then lastly, my therapist gave me a list of things to put on a sheet of paper of things that can get me out of a hole. And I have it on my refrigerator. So I look at it when I'm not feeling too well and it helps out. That's awesome. I love that advice to have a list of things that that help you and then just look at that and try Mm -hmm. one thing and maybe you'll feel better. (laughs) Yes. So going back to being a PhD student, tell us more about how the diagnosis experience impacted your studies. So for those of us who haven't been through a doctoral program, (laughs) how is it different from normal university? Like, and do you think those differences made it harder to adjust? Okay. So as far as the PhD program, I'll just give context. So you really always are expected to perform at this high level. So undergrad, you're learning about different topics, you know, well, really a wide range of topics, but you're learning more about your major as you kind of continue on in like junior, senior year. You know, your master's degree, you come in more of a specialist in your field. Then the PhD, you're expected to produce a certain amount of knowledge that's on this high level, like you're presenting solutions to issues that you've read about undergrad or maybe a master's student. So with that expectation that you are always quote unquote on or you're always expected to be able to like have all this brain energy (laughs) to produce at a certain level, that's hard when you're dealing with a chronic illness and with the chronic illness is unpredictable. And so I know for me in the PhD program, of course, we have a syllabus. Of course, our professors have given us what we want to do, but that's on a schedule. But if you add on top of that illness that is unpredictable, it gets to be very like frustrating because what if I'm sick, but I have a 20 page paper due? Or what if I'm sick and I have to meet up with my classmates to do a certain project? So I think that I know in a PhD program, like sometimes you don't have that much flexibility. You know, people know that you might have a life outside of it. But again, you're still expected to perform. That's where it gets a bit difficult. And then also I had night classes. So in my class was three hours long. So <laughs> I would eat before I go to class. But by the time I get out of class, it's time for me to eat a whole nother meal. And <laughs> when I was diagnosed, I was still getting used to all of that. Like I didn't have any history with this disease. So I'm in the middle of a PhD program with diabetes and I'm just trying to figure it all out. So I think that back to your original question, it really didn't impact my studies. I think that Knowing that I was quote unquote normal, like the first year of my program, (laughs) then I just, you know, it all hit me like a ton of bricks, like the second and third year of my program. I really had to figure out how to work with the illness, like because some days the illness drives the car (laughs) and I had to figure out, like, what can I do to work with this illness while I'm also expected to perform in this high level? So some days that meant I might need to take a nap, (laughs) you know, some days that meant maybe I need to take a break. But it also meant let me inform my professors what's going on and be transparent with them because they might think I'm just still, quote unquote, normal, but I'm really not. So on that line, what has the response been like from the people you work with, like your classmates, your professors, your students, if that comes up? So when I first received the diabetes 
diagnosis, what I did the next semester was inform my professor at the beginning of the semester, like, hey, I have diabetes. I might have to eat in the middle of your class so I don't crash by the end of the class. <laughs> and then that helped out just for them to be informed. I told some of my closest friends. So when we're in class, they can kind of watch out like, OK, Candace is crashing or like, you know, I might not be conscious of it because I didn't have a CGM in the beginning. So, you know, I couldn't like finger stick in the middle of class <laughs> so they could just look at me and tell. And then also, I think also my chair of my program, which other doctoral students or graduate students might experience this, they might have exams. And so one night, like one o'clock in the morning, I was having a low. I'm like, Candace, you're not going to be able to do this exam. Like you're just out of it. So I emailed my chair. She told me to get accommodations. And then that gave me more time on the exam if I needed it. So I had never heard of graduate students doing that. So I thought that would be a good tip to share also. But other than that, um, they've been very supportive. My family members have had to learn more about the disease because most people in my family or community have type 2 diabetes. They've never heard of type 1. I personally don't know anybody with type 1 in my community or circle or friends. <laughs> Except for the people I listen to on the podcast. That's why I always listen to you all. But... <laughs> So they've been supported to listen. That's been very helpful. And then with my students, I'm um, sorry, last semester was my first time teaching in person with diabetes. So that was an interesting experience. <laughs> okay. What tips do you have in addition to the ones you've already shared for graduate students who have chronic illness? Okay. I would say first, just don't feel like you're abnormal, but remember that you might not be all the way normal. And so just embrace that you do have the illness. Now, I will admit, have I fully accepted that I have type 1 diabetes? No, I sure have not. It has only been a year. So that's something that I'm still trying to come to terms with that I do have a chronic illness. But I think that as far as graduate students are concerned, maintaining balance is something I would say as far as having outlets. So school in general, grad school in general is stressful. And they always say like, make sure you do stuff that's fun or you enjoy, have a life. <laughs> I think that's really important for someone with a chronic illness because I know for me, I can't handle stress like I used to. And I think that if students go painting, like I like to paint at painting sips or go to the movies or hang out with friends, intentionally adding that in their schedule, that will help out a lot because it can get very demanding with professors' expectations and you forget that you have to take care of yourself and then that's going to be a trickle-down effect when you get sick. So I think adding in those activities intentionally will help out with the kind of work-life illness balance. <laughs> so you've been talking about how you've had it for over a little bit over a year. Is there in your head some kind of delineation between when they told you you don't have type 2 and now you have type 1? Okay, so I think that it was more so an identity transformation, I would say, because when they told me I had type two and like that whole year I was a quote unquote type two diabetic, I felt so bad. Like, I just felt like I did. I do. I know I didn't do this to myself, but everybody's blaming me for it. Or like when I talk to people, they're like, oh, you need to watch what you eat. Your toes are going to fall off. Or like Your legs are going to fall off. You know, all these horror stories. And I'm like, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do this entire time. But and then I also brought a medical bracelet that said type two. And I just felt like horrible. But when they told me I had type one, I'm like, OK, I can breathe because this just feels more like it kind of aligns with like I didn't do this to myself, which I do understand. You know, type, I, nobody should blame a type two diabetic. For, that's not how you give medical care. But I feel like for me with type one, it was just a breath of fresh air that, OK, now I know like this does fit me. Now let's try to treat it as best we can. 
That's a really interesting mindset because like type two is reversible for most people. But when you switch to type one, this is permanent. You can't exactly. get rid of it. And for you, it's a breath of fresh air. That is just so interesting to me. Yeah. In, in weird ways, it was a little breath, breath of fresh air. Yeah, because like you didn't do this to yourself, and a lot of type twos are they are blamed for their condition, which totally shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I just that's inter- so interesting. <laughs> so, what are some things about being diagnosed as an adult in particular that you think most people don't understand or just don't even think about? Okay, I think number one is potentially community. So, like I said before, like I don't have friends that I grew up with, like going to type one. I hear y'all t- y'all talk about type one diabetes camp. Like, I'm like, that sounds so cool. But like, (laughs) I didn't have that experience, you know, growing up to meet people who actually have type 1 diabetes, you know, in my circle. And I think that, you know, I haven't even met many African-Americans with type 1 diabetes. I don't know if that's a thing. I just haven't. But I think having that type of community is a bit harder as an adult, especially with like Lada and just getting it at this late stage in life. I will say the Facebook groups have been very helpful to like see other people who do have it. And like I said, podcasts have as well. I think also with the adult piece, I think remembering that other life that you used to have, like accepting that that life doesn't exist anymore. And because you spent so much time with that life, it wasn't like one, two, 10 years, you know, no, (laughs) it was your full beginning adult life. But that's, it's some of it's still there, but it's not all the way there. That's something that's an adjustment to have to, Accept, I should say. And then lastly, as an adult, depending on the illness, but I know for me with my type of diabetes, a lot of people don't really know about it. And so I do a lot of educating to people about this disease. And in some ways it's good. Some ways they don't want to listen. They still think <laughs> I could just go exercise all night and it goes away. <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, it is an educational opportunity to share. So I think the awareness of it, I should say, is a bit different as an adult. Okay. Is there anything else about the whole diabetes experience that you've had that you'd like to share with the audience? I say, now, one thing I will say, especially for people who might be older, who, you know, you went to the doctor, you can't really figure out what's going on with your body, like with your sugars, just keep trying to self-advocate for yourself, like research different types of diabetes, ask around, ask other doctors, just don't take one person's opinion. And that way it could lead potentially to less misdiagnosis because I know it happens a lot with Lada because they might not test you. They might do a clean sweep like, oh, she doesn't look like she might have type one. You know, they told me, well, at least she don't have type one. But I'm like, how do you know I don't have type one? So I think just self-advocating for yourself and your health, like you are the leader of your ship. So just continue to do research if you just feel something isn't really just right. I'm astonished that doctors say you don't look like you have type one as if people look like they have type one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's called an invisible illness for a reason. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> wow. All right. So you mentioned at the beginning that you're an author and you have your own business. You want to tell us more about your book and the business that you run? <laughs> okay. So I run educational writing services. And we provide editorial services and college coaching to students and professionals. So with editorial services, we do like dissertations, resumes, cover letters, anything dealing with writing. Then with our college coaching, similar. So we do admissions essays, scholarship essays, anything dealing with the writing process, personal statements. So I have an English background. So that's where the motivation for the business came out of. And then the book is called Write Your Way to a Successful Scholarship Essay. And so I teach the conventions of writing a scholarship essay. 
I wish I'd had that when I was going into college. <laughs> yes. It's pretty helpful. My co-host co Jesse is currently in college, so she might be interested in seeing what you do. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. What advice do you have for the college college age diabetics out there? Like my co-host. <laughs> okay. It's so interesting to try to give advice, you know, but I think I have lived enough of the experience. <laughs> I will say the same thing I said before about balance, um, trying to maintain balance with self-care activities. I know for me, I do eat healthy, but sometimes I just want like <laughs> a piece of fun size Kit Kat. Like sometimes I just want a piece of chocolate and I have to remind myself like, Candace, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, you can have a little bitty piece of chocolate if it's okay. So I think integrating fun within taking care of your body helps out because again, the burnout is real. <laughs> Absolutely. What projects are you working on right now that you're really excited about? So I think... With my college, well, they're high school students right now. So I have a group of high school students that I coach them from August all the way up until May for college admissions and scholarships. So right now they're starting to get their acceptance letters um, from some really nice schools. Yeah, it's really cool. And like scholarship finalists for like top four rides, top name schools. So I celebrate with them as they're getting these admissions letters because I did so much work with all of those admissions essays. And we still have a way to go with these scholarship essays. But yeah, my high school students are doing really well right now. So I'm excited for them. That's awesome. I can just imagine all the excitement of getting those letters. and. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> all right. Last question. Where can people find you online? All right. So I'm on Facebook at Candice Chambers. And I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and also Twitter. So I'm on all those websites. And then if you just Google my name, it should come up. And you also find my personal website and business website. All right. We will link to all of those in the show notes. <laughs> Candace, thank you for coming on to talk about your experience with type one. All right. You're welcome. Glad to have come. <laughs> all right. And our question for you guys this week is, have you ever been misdiagnosed with something? If you have, that really sucks. And what was your experience with that? That is it for this episode of This is Type One. Thank you so much to Candace for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find her at CandiceChambers.com or at any of the social links that you can find in the show notes. And the show notes are at InspiredForward.com slash episode 131. It's the number 131. You can apply to be a guest by visiting ThisIsType1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I'm on all social media as at InspiredForward, and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. And guess what? We're on Instagram. So our podcast Instagram is at this is type one pod. That's the number one. If you do look us up, we would love to hear from you. And I'm personally on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type one diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type one diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face -face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.